The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this autumn Sunday. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, and when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Today's service of worship includes music and liturgy rebroadcast from earlier services, along with a revision recorded October 22nd of the sermon from the preempted radio broadcast October 4th. Today we lift the gospel as known in liberal life. Although our nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As the choir momentarily guides us, let us recall in confession that we do not always fully rely upon the faithfulness of Christ, as Martin Luther would teach us his favorite letter in the New Testament, Galatians, to which he referred as his Katie von Bora. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast and do not be enslaved again. Let us pray. Beloved, be absolved and hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
join me in saying verses from Psalm 90 with the antiphon. our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. O oh, prosper the work of our hands. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. Glory to you, O Lord. Here another parable. There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, 
he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. The gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Christ. Here, the good news of a liberal life, a liberal life of faith in just two words, generosity, humility. The good news in two words. There is liberal life in generosity. Jesus meets us today to challenge us, to confront us, and to inspire us with the hope of something new. Faith in him and love for his fruitful community and a life directed toward a final hope, all these lie before us in this holy hour. Some years ago, in our first year after seminary, a very small act of mercy, of generosity, on the part of a colleague began to show me the power of the new life found in the doing of the faith. As the psychologists say, the heart follows the hand. We had only been married a couple of years and had more recently entered the working world. Some of you are there today. Others remember those days. Others expect them one day. Our little house was gradually filling up or being filled up with the materials of early married life. A car in the driveway, clothing on the line out back, a crib, dog food bowl in the kitchen corner, wedding and family photographs and new albums. It all happens so quickly. Marriage, degree, job, house, child, car, dog, clothes, all of a sudden, it hardly seems real or possible. One day during this period in our early life together, there came a most surprising bit of information. This news was delivered in the course of a simple supper as the dog barked and the drying clothes flapped in the breeze and the baby upstairs cried on to sleep. The information was in some a medical bulletin, one of those little messages from doctor to patient to patient's family, an insignificant bit of news as far as the televised world news was concerned, just another report and a report on a lab report. Soon there would be another mouth to feed what excitement! It hardly seemed possible or real. But reality did set in, and reality did set in, was ushered in, not surprisingly, by means of the checkbook. Ah, the checkbook, though unused now by most 20-somethings today, for other generations the checkbook has been a stern reminder of the limits of life, unerring measurer of the various pursuits of happiness, implacable judge of the ways of humans, the checkbook, clothes, dog, child, car, and all finally had to be paid for. Reality did finally set in. Both Paul and Matthew, by the way, today in our lessons, in their own way, are trying to convey a sense of reality. So it was in this period of early marriage, the period of judgment by the way of checkbook, when, I recall, a real kindness was done. Among many other unmanageable expenses, our car needed new brake pads. I did check to see the price that would be charged to have them installed. I wondered how we could afford it, which is where things sat on a late summer evening in a small cottage-like parsonage nearby one of the great Finger Lakes, with the clothes flapping on the line, the dog well-fed and ill-behaved, and the baby crying to the moon above. The next evening, I met with a neighboring minister, a man about 15 years older than I. We did our work and then set to talking about life in general. The topic of cars and brakes and brake pads somehow wiggled to the surface, and with it all the manifold cares and worries of this life about which the scripture says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 
This fellow minister then suggested that the next day, early in the morning, I bring the car to his house, where and when he would teach me how to change the brake pads on the car. This we did together. And in the course of the morning, we also talked through various strategies open to young married couples to avoid the stern, grim judgment of the checkbook. There are ways, it turned out, and he had been there. I know this backwater tale of an unheralded act of generosity done in 1980 hardly constitutes earth-shaking news. I guess it is just a matter of vineyards and harvest, of the prize of the upward call, of the way we ought to be as people of faith. Such a recollection of such a simple generosity, a mark of liberal life, hardly seems worth mention. And yet it meant a great deal and hovers in the memory years later, four decades later, as the very grace of God. Here is one doing what he and we ought to have done. Here is an act of compassion. Here is an act of mercy. Here is something new. Here is what Emerson meant. Virtue alone creates something new. Virtue alone creates something new. Today you may sense a hunger, a sharp hunger. There is a sharp hunger in the souls of women and men from all different walks of life. It is a hunger that does not abate with the ministrations of all that position and fortune and plenty can provide. It does not wilt in the face of pandemic, of climate, of presidential contest and calumny, of abusive law in the name of order, of personal betrayals near and far. It is a hunger that reaches for God. It is a hunger for God. There is a hunger for God today in the souls of men and women that will not be filled by anything else. It will not be filled by anything other than God. Finally, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. And there is such a fine, fine hunger in your own heart can only be filled by God by love, by freedom, by grace, by the faith and faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and by love for his community, and by a liberal life directed toward a final hope of lasting glory. We can and will proclaim this hunger from this pulpit. We can and will announce God's gracious love from this pulpit. But in the end, you will find it, or it will find you, in your own experience, one by one, two by two, you are likely to be shocked to faith by no more than one real encounter with one real act of generosity at the hand of one real person. Or, said negatively, as doer St. Matthew might, if one real generosity does not point you to a new life, will a hundred or will a thousand? One grace note rung and heard is all it takes. Here is the vineyard still. Here is the wine press still. Here is the harvest coming still. Here comes a time when our time is no longer our own time. So today, let your own hand guide your own heart. Act in kindness and you will find that you are kinder too. Act in generosity and you will discover a generous spirit within. Act with faith and faith will find you. Your heart will follow your hand. We come to meet Jesus who meets us in deed now, not only in word. He meets us in the central moments of life, the full giving that is real loving, the real loving that is full giving, the offering of life for life, the offering of the liberal life. The question is, are we ready to receive him? today. There is liberal life in generosity. There is liberal life in humility, especially the humility of labored self-criticism, the humility of communal and rigorous self-assessment. We shall try to muster some such this morning to try to interpret the parable from St. Matthew, his own interpretation of what St. Mark left him. The last 250 years of rigorous, labored, biblical self-criticism gives us the motive and the power to do so. 
Our predecessors in this work gave us a lasting and graceful example of humility. Here, the humility to put every passage of Holy Scripture to the test, the test of historical critical study as a basis for theological homiletical reflection. And this is an awesome gift, hard won, one with cost. But the fruit of it is grace and truth and also a way in which to make some sense of parables like this, which served raw without historical critical cooking will produce dyspepsia and disease. The humility to do so since the 18th century is a liberal life lived out in humility. So we learn that Matthew writes in 85 AD, rewriting Mark from 70 AD, who wrote about Jesus in 30 AD. So we learn that the stone the builders rejected, verse 42, is from Psalm 118 and is taken over from Mark. So we learn that in Mark, the rejected stone must be Jesus, but Matthew, adding verses 41b, 43, and 43, makes it refer to Christians, to you and me. The nation is the Christian church, composed of both Gentiles and Jews. So we learn that the passage seems to have been a commonplace of early Christian preaching since it is also found in Peter's speech in Acts 4.11 and 1 Peter 2.7. So we learn that in 22.7, Matthew may also have had the Jewish war in mind, 66 to 70 AD, and, and that verse 44 is not original to him. That is, let Peter Berger of blessed memory remind us, who wrote, there is a huge literature about the problems raised by biblical scholarship for faith and theology. The problems exploded with the rise of modern historical scholarship being applied to the Bible, beginning earlier but then progressing impressively in the 19th century. Much of this new scholarship took place in Protestant theological faculties, especially in Germany. A historically unique event of religious scholars applying the scalpel of critical analysis to the sacred scriptures of their own tradition. A historically unique event of religious scholars applying the scalpel of critical analysis to the sacred scriptures of their own tradition. The meaning of critical is, here is clear. Biblical texts are analyzed in the same way as any other historical text with the question of their revelatory status rigorously excluded from this exercise. Many biblical scholars succeeded and still succeed in understanding the revelation being somehow preserved within the all too human processes that produced the text. Biblical scholars unafraid to apply the scalpel of critical analysis to the sacred scriptures of our own tradition. With my predecessors, all five other Marsh Chapel deans, I too am one such. A good friend asked, why does Matthew say God tortures, referring to a gospel lesson from some weeks ago? I wrote back to say I really couldn't fully answer except to note that Matthew's dark side waxes as his gospel wanes and much of that in grief to humbly state it, is laced with ancient anti-Semitism. That is, in the later chapters, Matthew's language turns decidedly grim. We hear that again today. Yes, we keep the rhetorical mode of hyperbole in mind. Yes, we recognize the religious penchant for odium theologicum, theological hatred. Yes, we can see the dark clouds of the terror of the emperor Domitian on the late first century horizon. But none of that alone will allow us to make sense of Matthew's harshness here. For that, we'll have to render and conjure what lies just underneath most of these later chapters. And that is a fierce Mithian love for the church, protection of the church. That is a fierce Mithian love for the church and viral commitment to fruit, the fruits unexplained in this text are doubtless good works and the broad expression used shows that Matthew intends a general principle. In all ages, the kingdom of God is for fruit bearers, the Christian church insofar as it bears fruit. 
It is noteworthy that the emphasis Matthew feels he must add for the proper understanding of the parable is the very one commonly neglected or reinterpreted today. That is, the command and demand to bear fruit pronounced by the addition to Mark of verse 43. St. Matthew's fiercest passion wells up out of the Holy Scripture for these weeks in the autumn. Matthew holds a very high view of the church, far higher than we expect, far higher than yours and mine, we could add. In waxing religion today, the church is largely an expedient to be used, often for good causes, but to be used to be sure, and then, if there is time, to be loved. In waning religion, the church is often also an expedient, though here for causes more progressive than traditional, interests more mental than physical, to be used often for good causes, but to be used to be sure, and then perhaps loved. This the fundamentalists and radicals have in common. What did Augustine say? We use what we should love, and we love what we should use. Yet for Matthew, The church is empowered with the means of lasting forgiveness, with a mind for sound ethics, and especially with the real presence of Christ, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Matthew trusts this risen Christ and this voice of the risen Christ to free him to follow his bliss, to succumb to his passion. It is the passion of an evangelist who finds every blessed possible way to connect a Jewish Jesus with a Greek world. It is the passion of an evangelist who enlists an old missionary teaching track Q to spread inspiration, truth, and joy. It is the passion of an evangelist who portrays your savior among pagans amid harlots appended to the cross about the resurrection work of compassion. It is the passion of an evangelist who sums up his gospel this way, go, make of all disciples. The whole point of the gospel of St. Matthew the evangelist is that he is an evangelist. He it is, not me. He it is, not we, who points you to a new passion, one you, you plural, have not fully, intimately yet known. Matthew's passion offered us a people producing the fruit of the reign of God. Don't just talk, do. Do you notice and squirm? Matthew is moving the parable away from judgment on inherited religion toward judgment on the church. If and as the church does not bear fruit worthy of repentance, on us, on me and you, if and as we do not bear fruit. On us, if and as we do not bear fruit. There is liberal life in humility. Generosity, humility, two forms of liberal life. Generosity, humility. Always, but especially in COVID time, our largest congregation through Marsh Chapel is our live radio listenership at home or in the car or walking the beach or in the care facility or listening live on the computer. Yes, we also honor and love our resident community and our podcast blog and later listeners. But it is the listener now, right now, in the moment. It is the blind person tuning in the organ prelude It is the elderly person, cane in hand, who has no cyber capacity, listening in the next room. It is the poor woman or man worried about the end of month budget with a radio and electricity to fuel it, but little else. It is the technically challenged, able to handle a radio dial, but not Firefox, 90.9, but not Zoom. And it also is those on the margins along streets shaped by potholes, in communities of colors on the margins, and among those not so much cultured despisers of religion as those culturally despised by illiberal religion, who listen live 
to whose lives we weekly, in preparation and prayer, weekly try to listen every seven days. To you then, you gracious listener, come, comes good news in two words. Generosity, what two things shall you offer gratis this week to God and neighbor? Humility, what are the two truest lasting criticisms of you that others see but perhaps do not mention the two areas of most needed personal growth. Whatever comes, we may be true to ourselves, to our own most selves, when caught up in the liberal life discovered by the practice of generosity in a spirit of humility. Amen. We now come to a time of prayer in the service. I invite you to remain seated, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail, assuming a posture of prayer that best allows you to support the prayers of the community. As the choir leads us in the call to prayer, lead me, Lord. Dear God, most beneficent and merciful, we come to you today to thank you for all that we have, for the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the clean water we have access to, the opportunity we have to make a better life for our kin, and the fact that we are continuing to make this world a better place for all. We also ask for your help, Lord. We ask that you help those who go days without eating, those who barely have enough clothes or shoes to protect their feet, we pray for those who do not have access to water and those who are at the bottom and feel they cannot escape the oppression and injustice of their world. We pray that you help those who have had to live through natural disasters such as wildfires and hurricanes and have had their homes and lives destroyed. We pray that you help the people that are still, even today, suffering from religious persecution 
being murdered for loving you, Lord. We pray you help those whose lives are rearranged because of the actions taken by radical individuals, including leaders whom they did not appoint. Good and gracious God, we pray for the people suffering from physical ailments as well as mental health, anxiety, and depression. We pray for the victims of racism, discrimination, sexism, and violence, regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, and political ideology. We are all born equal as your creation, with lungs to breathe, minds to think, and hearts to love one another. We must make your world a beautiful world and a better and cleaner place for our children who will inherit it. One person's problem is never solved until it is solved for all the people of this world. We are one. We pray to you with peace, love, and positivity. Amen. I invite you to pray with me now the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
of blessings. You created us in your image so that we may do your will on earth. Help us to emulate your Son, Jesus Christ, as we give what we are able to serve your glorious purpose. Accept these gifts and the offering of our spirits in your noble service. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 